In this Holy Week, as you and I journey somehow together with our friend Jesus through the mystery of the cross and the hope of an empty tomb, we are reminded in the words of Dallas Willard in Renovation of the Heart, the body, our bodies, yours and mine, must be weaned from its tendency to always take control, to run the world, to achieve and produce to attain gratification. We must take, he says, our hands off the world because it's not ours. And in this week, we remember this. Tomorrow, Nancy and I would love to join you seven o'clock Pacific time live as we gather to reflect on the wonder and mystery of the cross Today, this is called Monday Thursday, and it's from a Latin word that has to do with washing. And it's a time when we remember the day before that Friday when Jesus gathered his very good friends into an upper room. And then he did something that quite stunned and undid them. He washed their feet. We often remember that this is an example for us because Jesus said that and we ought to serve each other. There are some traditions that to this day actually practice physical foot washing. And I don't think that's the main point. For one thing, it just seems kind of strange in our day. Our feet don't hopefully need washing. At least in our culture, most folks have shoes. And the point of Jesus was not to wash people's feet, not to do something for them that they don't want or need to have done, but actually to do something that helps them. So um, running an errand for somebody or caring for somebody or fixing them a meal or helping them out at work or writing them a note or washing their car, paying a bill uh, is kind of the equivalent in our time. And this is a good day to serve people. But what I want to do in our time together is recall that Jesus, first of all, did not do that to just set them an example. He says, when Peter says, no, 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 you're not going to wash my feet. Jesus says, if I don't wash you, if I don't cleanse you, If I can't make you whole, then you will not be a part of me, of my movement, of partaking somehow in the redemption of your will and mind and body. So I want today to invite you just to receive from him. I I started reading a couple weeks ago from a wonderful chapter in Philip Yancey's book on what's so amazing about grace, the lovesick father. And I thought I'd finish it on this Monday, Thursday, as we remember the grace of Jesus that was expressed through all of his life and all of his teachings and supremely on the cross. Here's what Philip writes. One of Jesus' stories about grace made it into three different gospels in slightly different versions. My favorite though, actually appeared in another source entirely, the Boston Globe's account in June 1990 of a most unusual wedding banquet. Accompanied by her fiance, A woman went to the Hyatt Hotel in downtown Boston and ordered the meal. The two of them poured over the menu, made selections of china and silver, 
pointed to pictures of the flower arrangements they liked. They both had expensive taste, and the bill came to, I'll adjust it for inflation, $50,000. After leaving a check for half that amount as a down payment, the couple went home to flip through the books of wedding announcements. The day the announcements were supposed to hit the mailbox, the potential groom got cold feet. I'm just not sure, he said. It's a big commitment. Let's think about this a little longer. When his angry fiancé returned to the Hyatt to cancel the banquet, the events manager could not have been more understanding. Same thing happened to me, honey, she said, told the story of her own broken engagement. But about the refund, she had bad news. The contract is binding. You're only entitled to $2,500 back. You have, to, you have two options, to forfeit the rest of the down payment or go ahead with the banquet. I'm sorry, really I am. It seemed crazy, but the more the jilted bride thought about it, the more she liked the idea of going ahead with a party. Not a wedding banquet, mind you, but a big blowout. Ten years before, the same woman had been living in a homeless shelter. She had got back on her feet, found a good job, set aside a sizable nest egg. Now she had the wild notion of using her savings to treat the down and outs of Boston to a night on the town. And so it was that in June of 1990, the Hyatt Hotel in downtown Boston hosted a party such as it had never seen before. The hostess changed the menu to boneless chicken in honor of the groom, she said. I love that part of the story. And sent invitations to rescue missions and homeless shelters. That warm summer night, people who were used to hat peeling half-gnawed pizza off the cardboard dined instead on chicken cordon bleu. Hyatt waiters in tuxedos served hors d'oeuvres to senior citizens propped up by crutches and aluminum walkers. Bag ladies, vagrants, and addicts took one night off from the hard life on the sidewalks outside and instead sipped champagne, ate chocolate wedding cake, and danced to big band melodies laid into the night. Let them come, the father says. Let them come to my banquet. The house is not yet full. Go out into the highways and the byways. This chapter on the amazing grace of the lovesick father, expressed most fully in a cross, ends with these words from Philip. Not long ago, I heard from a pastor friend who was battling with his 15-year-old daughter. He knew she was using birth control, and several nights she had not bothered to come home at all. The parents had tried various forms of punishment to no avail. The daughter lied to them, deceived them, and found a way to turn the tables on them. It's your fault for being so strict. My friend told me, I remember standing before the plate glass window in my living room, staring out into the darkness, waiting for her to come home. I felt such rage. I wanted to be like the father of the prodigal son, yet I was furious with my daughter for the way she would manipulate us and twift, twist the knife to hurt us. And of course, she was hurting herself more than anyone. I understood then the passages in the prophets expressing God's anger. The people knew how to wound him, and God cried out in pain. And yet I must tell you, when my daughter came home that night, 
or rather the next morning, I wanted nothing in the world so much as to take her in my arms, to love her, to tell her that I wanted the best for her. I was a helpless, lovesick father. Philip ends this wonderful chapter. Now, when I think about God, I hold up that image of the lovesick father, which is millions of miles away from the stern monarch I used to envision. I think of my friend standing in front of the plate glass window, gazing achingly into the darkness. I think of Jesus' depiction of the waiting father, heartsick, abused, yet wanting above all else to forgive and begin anew, to announce with joy, this my son was dead and is alive again. He is lost and is found. Mozart's Requiem contains a wonderful line that has become my prayer, one I pray with increasing confidence. Remember, merciful Yesu, that I am the cause of your journey. I think he remembers. And that's the prayer. Remember, merciful Yesu. Until tomorrow.